Walter Sports Bar is the spot to watch the NFL in the Navy Yard neighborhood. They preset all indoor TVs and seat first come, first served. Visit waltersdc.com slash NFL for more information. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two on the way. Swing and a line drive through the hole to base hit right field. Outman comes in to score. The game is tied. The Dodgers five and the Nationals five. Frazier to the belt. The 0-2. Swing and a line drive right center field. That is going to get down for a base hit. It's going to tie the game. Keyboom scores. And it's tied at six here in the 10th. Barland delivers. Manessis looks at the pitch. It's a wild pitch in the dirt. Here comes Chavis to the plate. He scores. And a curly W's in the books. Will Smith tried to get into the pitcher, Varland covering, and it wasn't a good throw. He scrambled to try and catch it and couldn't, and Chavis scores on a wild pitch. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, September 10th, 2023, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. We, for a second consecutive show, are taping the show in the uh, early morning hours of a weekend morning. We, on the last installment of the podcast, did this while discussing all of the chaos off the field with the Nats. We, on this show, have chaotic events on the field to discuss, but we also have a Nats win to discuss, a 7-6, 11-inning win over the National League West leading Los Angeles Dodgers at Nationals Park on Saturday night in Game 2 of a three-game series. This was just the Nats' third win in 12 games. Nats improved to 64-78 and on the season. This was a game for which the start was delayed for four hours and 10 minutes due to rain. This was a game in which the Nats blew a 5-2 seventh inning lead. But this was a game that the Nats won on Michael Chavis scoring on a two-out wild pitch in the bottom of the 11th. Jake Irvin was terrific against the Mighty Dodgers. Davey Martinez, a game after using six relievers, used five relievers. We had not one but two catches by Nats rookie outfielders against the outfield wall. And also, Mackenzie Gore's season appears to be done. Mark, Saturday ended up being some day for the Nats, but I tell you, at least the focus was on the field as opposed to off the field. Can you imagine if there was also a Steven Strasburg retirement press conference on the same day? <laughs> that would have been absolutely insane. Look, I try not to have too much hyperbole around here, but in 19 years of covering this team, 
This was one of the most ridiculous ball games I've ever covered. <laughs> and I say that in both positive and negative ways. There was just some absolutely ridiculous things happening, good things happening, like that catches the tremendous defense that you saw from them, some clutch moments from a lot of different players. There was also some ridiculous stuff happening in a negative way in terms of some at-bats with the game on the line that really did not come through, some relief pitching that, of course, did not come through. And then the way they win the game like that, where moments earlier, Michael Chavis does not try to score on a ground ball to short, waits until the next batter comes up, and then scores the winning run on a wild pitch as if he knew all along that that's how that was going to play out. That was just a ridiculous, insane way for a really long day at the ballpark to end. I'll just say this. Thank God they won that game. If they somehow lost that game, there'd be a very different tone, I think, after it all. Uh, yes, I think so. There has not been a lot of positivity with the Nats lately. So to have a win like this, look, a day like Saturday with as long of a day as this ended up being it's not a good day. I mean, if you're a ticket-paying Nats fan, I don't know how Saturday was like one of the great days in which you spend your money to go watch the Nats. But at least if you did stick around, you did see a Nats win. I think this would have been even worse if you know you have this lengthy day and then the team ends up losing again off having had a 5-2 seventh inning lead. So there are a lot of ways we could go with this. This doesn't necessarily feel like the biggest thing coming out of the game but I got to tell you, Jake Irvin and what he did in this game, I feel like will get lost, right? Because of everything else that happened. But in facing one of the best hitting teams in the majors, the Dodgers entered Saturday number two in the majors in team OPS plus for this season at 115. Jake Irvin went out there on Saturday night and allowed one run in six innings. And it's a shame that his outing is going to get maybe not forgotten, but you know, it sort of gets minimized by the Nats blowing the lead and all of the stuff that happened as the game went on. But one run in six innings against the Dodgers. He gave up just three hits, a double and two singles, issued two walks, recorded four strikeouts. He threw 88 pitches, 54 strikes versus 34 balls. Here's the bottom line right now with Jake Irvin. Okay, so I think most people know the deal by now. In case you don't, May 3rd, he's recalled from AAA Rochester. First seven starts, ERA of 587, then has his turn in the rotation, skipped, works on some things, resets himself. He now has made 15 starts since he had his turn in the rotation, skipped. His ERA over those 15 starts is 359. His turn in the rotation was skipped all the way back in early June. It now has been three months since Irvin's turn in the rotation was skipped. This is now a three-month sample size, 15 starts, ERA of 359. This is becoming one of the more remarkable developments of this Nats season. The best Nats starting pitcher for the last three months has not been Josiah Gray, has not been Mackenzie Gore, has been Jake Irvin. And three months is half of an MLB regular season, right? It's a six-month regular season. For half of this regular season, it has been Jake Irvin who has been the Nats' best starting pitcher. This is really something. You took the words out of my mouth, Alan, the words out of my fingertips, because this start was not lost on me, and what he's done has not been lost on me. I know a lot of stuff happened in this game, and I addressed it all in my game story. I still focused on Jake Irvin and what this start meant and how it fits into the larger story of what he has done for them this year. 420 ERA overall, like you just said, 359 over his last 15, 275 ERA over his last seven starts. At a time when others in the rotation have been getting worse, he is getting better. He's getting stronger. 
as the season comes to an end. And that, I think, is a huge deal. And in the end, I know Mackenzie Gore and Josiah Gray and ultimately Kate Cavalli are going to get more attention than him. But I think what Irvin has done is just as significant. I think he has indisputably been their most consistently effective starter for most of this season. And at this moment, he has a lower ERA than Mackenzie Gore and a lower whip than Josiah Gray while averaging more innings per start than either of them. Okay. Now, in the long run, maybe those other guys are going to be better big league pitchers. Maybe Mackenzie Gore is the number one on this team in the long run. Maybe Josiah Gray makes more all-star games and is consistently a guy near the top of your rotation. But I think Jake Irvin deserves a ton of credit for what he has done this year, how he has stepped up, put himself into the mix where I don't even think now it's a question. He is part of their opening day rotation next year. You know, we'll never know what kind of a 2023 season Cade Cavalli would have had had he not had to undergo Tommy John surgery. But we do know that Jake Irvin is in the rotation because Cavalli had to undergo the Tommy John. It was Cavalli underwent Tommy John, Chad Cool in the rotation, Cool struggles, gets hurt, quote unquote. Irvin ends up being summoned from AAA Rochester. It's so funny how baseball can work out because if Cavalli doesn't get hurt or if Cool is better, Maybe we don't see Jake Irvin this season, or at least not until deep in the season. But a variety of circumstances led to him being called up in early May. He has had this opportunity and off, you know, an initial rough go of it. That's true. Like he had to have his turn in the rotation skip. The early numbers were not good. He really has become something. And, you know, in a season in which we've talked about these various bright spots, but, you know, it's been up and down with the bright spots, right? Like CJ Abrams and Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. I wonder if at the end of this season, we might say that Jake Irvin ended up being the biggest bright spot on this team, certainly from a pleasant surprise standpoint. Like you just said, maybe the upside isn't there like it is with some other guys. But just if you're isolating this season, name me a bigger pleasant surprise and maybe a bigger positive than Jake Irvin. No, I don't know that you can. You could say Lane Thomas, but we saw glimpses of him last year and he was, you know, the team's best offensive player last year in, in a lot of ways. So yeah, I think this is right up there with any of them. Davey Martinez after this game was so highly praising Irvin for the performance, but also for the growth that he's shown. You mentioned skipping that start. They had things they told him that, hey, we want you to do this. We want you to do that. And he has taken it to heart and he's put it into practice. And you don't always see that. I, I know there's frustration at times when they tell a guy, hey, you know, focus on this pitch do this better, try this, try that. And they aren't able to do it. And in Irvin's case, he's taking what they've told him. He's applying it to what he's doing. And he's showing that he can be a more successful pitcher. And I know they're watching his workload. And that's probably why they pulled him after six innings and 88 pitches. But he looked like he could keep going in this one. He looks like he can finish out the year strong. I know they do want to be careful. And Davey suggested that they're going to reevaluate him now after this one, and maybe there's only one or two more starts for him before they decide to shut him down. But of all the things about it, I think what stands out is how he's gotten better as the year went on, where others maybe peaked early and are sort of struggling through the finish line or even having to cut it short before they get there, whereas Jake Irvin is charging through the finish line and really making a statement here at the end of the year. Yeah, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, and Trevor Williams all have gotten worse as this season has gone on. And, you know, Patrick Corbin is Patrick Corbin. Irvin certifiably has gotten better. It's been great to see. 
Hey, are you a law firm partner or an associate stuck on an underperforming franchise? Do what Nationals legend Max Scherzer did. Demand a trade. He left the New York Mets, right? And uh, ended up on a contender in the American League. There might be greener pastures and a lot more money at another law firm for you and your team at another law firm, not to mention better management and better services to offer your clients. The law firm lateral partner market is still red hot, and Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfas is the best legal recruiter in Washington, D.C., or anywhere. And Mason wants to help you find a new and better home. Mason Kalfas, he is the Scott Boris of legal recruiters. Put him to work for you. Mason will sit down with you and understand your practice and career or financial goals. He will confidentially discuss your candidacy with law firms that are contenders, not 60 win teams. You can reach Mason or any of his team of seven recruiters at 202-486-3535 or email Mason at mason at zenith legal.com. That's 202-486-3535 or via email at mason at zenithlegal.com. Go Nats! Uh, The Nats will be contenders very soon, and you can be a contender even sooner. The Game Time app is loaded this week with tons of local ticketing options, Nats, Commanders, DC United, Mystics, and a slew of concerts. If you want to get out of the house this weekend for one of these events, make sure to check the Game Time app. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. And listeners, download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's your Dylan Cruz update for the game played Saturday evening in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Another 0 for at the plate for Cruz. 0 for 3 is the leadoff center fielder. A pair of K's. His strikeout rate in 15 games is a troubling 27%. The Senators were routed by the curve 9-2. Now back to Mark and Al. Now the set, Abrams holds, and here's a long drive to left field. Deep down the line, toward the corner it goes, and it's gone! 
A line drive home run over the flower bed into the seats in left. And Lane Thomas delivers a first pitch two-run homer to give the Nationals a 5-2 lead. Number 24 for Thomas. Fourth game in a row, he's hit a long ball. How about what is happening with Lane Thomas right now? So on the one hand, he's been dealing with this ailing back. On the other hand, all he does lately when he plays is hit home runs. He hit another home run on Saturday night. He was back from a three-game absence caused by back tightness. He was, though, the Nats' starting designated hitter as opposed to starting right fielder. He was the Nats' number two batter. He went one for four with a two-run home run, an RBI sack fly, and a hit by pitch. And he did have a stolen base. Lane Thomas in an ads two-run seventh, a two-out first pitch, two-run home run to left field for a 5-2 Nats lead. He became just the fifth player for the Nats since the franchise moved to D.C. to hit a home run in each of four consecutive games. It's easy to have forgotten that he had homered in each of his previous three games because he missed these last three games due to the back tightness. And I know you talked to Lane recently about how the back had compelled him to sort of adjust his swing and it actually maybe had resulted in him hitting some home runs. But this is something. I mean, usually when you're ailing, you're not doing something like hitting homers as frequently as Lane Thomas is doing. And yet that's exactly what the guy is doing right now. And these haven't been cheap homers. He's been really connecting with solid contact and kind of no doubt swings for him. It's been such a great thing to see. And and you hope that he can maintain that swing even as his back starts to feel better and can really finish the season strong. He had been on something of a a cool streak there. I think it was 21 games without a home run after going on a barrage all summer long. So that was great to see. On the other hand, he came up to bat twice with a chance to win the game in the bottom of the ninth and the bottom of the 11th. And in each case, he swung at the first pitch and hit a ground ball to short that did not get the runner home that could have won the game. And He admitted trying to be a little too aggressive, trying to just win it right there, maybe not being as patient as he could have been, not trying to get the ball in the air with a runner on third, which is what you're trying to do. He's had a really good season. He actually has not been great in those kind of runners and scoring position situations, clutch situations, man on third, less than two outs. Those have actually not been his forte this year. And I do think there's some room for growth there for him. He's been great. He's hit for power. He's got the great arm. He's done a lot of good things for them. There's still, I think, a chance for him to become an even better player if he can focus a little bit on having more quality at bats and some big moments. And I think we saw that actually in this game. Lane Thomas for the season, team best 24 home runs, team best 822 OPS in terms of qualified Nats, and now tied with Joey Manessas for the team lead and runs batted in at 77. So with the Nats offensively speaking in this game on Saturday night, uh, you had eight hits and 38 at-bats. Nats two for eight with runners in scoring position, but did draw five walks. Actually, the five walks came from just two guys. Ildemaro Vargas, who was the Nats starting third baseman, went one for three with a single and two walks. And C.J. Abrams, who says he doesn't draw walks? Three walks for Abrams in this game, two of which were extra inning intentional walks. Abrams in this game got on base five times. He's having himself a nice series here so far in terms of the first two games. Abrams on Friday night, two for four with a two-run homer, a single, and a stolen base. And Abrams in this game on Saturday night, again, of course, the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter, two for three with a triple, a bunt single, and three walks. You talk about like your vintage performance by a leadoff batter, traditionally speaking, 
That's what you got from Abrams in this game. He and the Nats, one run first inning, a leadoff triple to right field on a ball that bounced past Dodgers right fielder Jason Hayward. Abrams in the Nats, two run fifth, a one out first pitch, bunt single to the left side of the infield. And if you watch this, it really wasn't that close at first base. I mean, the speed of Abrams on full display. And then came this barrage of C.J. Abrams walks, two run seventh, a two out walk. Bottom of the ninth, a one-out intentional walk. And then in the one-run 11th inning, a one-out intentional walk. Granted, two of the three walks were intentional, but a guy who needs to draw more walks certainly did draw a bunch of walks on Saturday night. Well, and a show of respect to show how far he's come. Would you normally have thought that a, a young shortstop would be the guy to strike fear in the hearts of uh, the Dodgers and Dave Roberts? No, they did not want to let him be the guy to beat them. So that's why they did put him on base and, and instead put the game in Lane Thomas's hands. And it, it sort of worked, at least until the game ended on the wild pitch there. I want to go all the way back to the first inning, though. That triple I thought was really significant because you have Jake Irvin in the top of the first giving up a run and they're down one nothing. This is the eighth straight game on this homestand that the starting pitcher has been scored upon in the top of the first. That's nuts how that's happened. Now, Irvin obviously cleaned it up after that and was fantastic, but they are trailing. I thought Abrams and coming right out in the bottom of the first against a hard-throwing pitcher the Dodgers have in Bobby Miller, leading that off with a, a triple and bringing the emotion back to the Nats side of it and then scoring on Lane Thomas's sacrifice fly to tie the game again 1-1, I thought that was big and set a tone to sort of seize the momentum back where it all of a sudden was looking like another shaky game where you're trailing and you're facing an uphill battle. And instead, it really was the Nats in control up until the later inning when the bullpen had some struggles. So I thought that triple in that moment was really significant for them. Nats had a couple of RBI singles in this game. Kbert Ruiz seeing the Nats one run 10th, a leadoff RBI single to right center field on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at six. And look who else had an RBI single on Saturday night, Luis Garcia. We, with everything going on in the last installment of the podcast, did not dig in on Luis Garcia. Now that we have a little more uh, real estate here with which to work, we can talk some Luis Garcia. So he is back. He's been the Nats starting second baseman and number eight batter in each of the first two games of this series. He on Saturday night went one for four with an RBI single. Garcia in the Nats two run fifth, an RBI single to right field for a 2-1 Nats lead. The Nats on Friday afternoon recalled Garcia from AAA Rochester. They had optioned him there on August 2nd. He was coming off a horrendous July. Garcia in this stint for Rochester, 108 plate appearances, only had an OPS of 696. It's not like he tore things up at AAA, although he did do well over his last 11 games with Rochester. I thought it was really interesting what Mike Rizzo said in his appearance on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan this past Wednesday morning about Garcia. Now, you know, this appearance has gotten attention because of what Mike said about his situation and Steven Strasburg, but kind of lost in all that was what he said about Luis Garcia. Not that this was necessarily surprising, but Mike was pretty blunt about Luis Garcia. Said that Garcia being sent to Rochester, quote, it was a preparation uh, assignment. We wanted to go down there and, and learn a routine and learn how to prepare for each and every game in the, in the big leagues. Uh, hmm. Rizzo also said that he had wanted Garcia to lose some weight, <laughs> which Luis Garcia did do. So he's back for these final few weeks of the regular season. I don't know that we're going to have like definite answers provided on Luis Garcia over the course of these next few weeks, but obviously you do want to see what he does here and you know go into next season, hopefully with him having played better. But nice to see him have this RBI single, and you know he'll have an opportunity here, presumably, to be the Nats uh, every game second baseman down the stretch. 
Yeah, pretty much every day. He's going to certainly start against right-handers. We don't know for sure yet against lefties if it will be him. I think he may get some days off there. Nice to see him come through with a big hit in that spot, like you said. Nice to see him make a really good play at second base. There were a ton of great defensive plays in this game by the Nationals. Garcia had one of them at second base. Now, he also had the kind of a lazy throw that skipped that Dom Smith had to scoop out of the dirt at one point. So I think everybody acknowledges that the guy has skills, abilities to do some really good things, but it's always been a question of consistency and every pitch throughout the game, staying engaged in it and having the best approach to all that that he can. And yeah, he admitted that he was surprised when they sent him down, but as he thought about it on the drive up to actually Scranton where the Rochester Red Wings were playing, he kind of understood what it was they were asking for from him. He embraced it. He was showing up to the ballpark earlier establishing a better pregame routine for everything he needed to do to get his body ready and get his mind ready for every game. And now he's trying to apply it back in the big leagues. Time will tell if he's able to make those adjustments and if we actually see it show up in his on-field performance. But he is getting a chance here down the stretch. And I think he needs to do his best to seize this opportunity. I don't know if there's anybody else waiting in the wings to take over going into next year. But kind of like Victor Robles in a way, I feel like the same sort of thing applies to Luis Garcia. He's going to have opportunities until somebody clearly is better than him. What he doesn't want to do is get to a point where somebody does leapfrog him on the depth chart and he has not made the adjustment and he's still kind of the same player that he was all along. So I think this closing stretch is important for him to show some of the strides that he's made. By the way, you just said the uh, magic two words, Victor and Robles. He has been on the 10-day injured list since June 21st with back spasms in the lumbar spine. This was off him having been on the 10-day IL May 8th, retroactive to May 7th to June 16th due to back spasms. Is he done for the season? Is he going to play again? Like, What is the deal here with Victor Robles? Yeah, he's done. Davey was asked about him the other day, and, and he said, you know, I don't ever want to say never and I want a guy to still be working hard to try to get back but even if he was physically ready to go you would need to go play some minor league games or something like that to get back in shape now he's been here he's feeling a lot better I don't believe he has really started running yet though or done really much of any baseball activity this was a far more serious injury than it ever sounded like initially with his back and it really puts his career in an interesting spot and I asked Davey about this said you know he doesn't come back to play this year You saw some good things in April, obviously, but how do you really know going into next year what kind of shape he's in? Is he over the injury? Is it something that's still going to bother him? Can you go into next year and say, we think he's still our center fielder or not? And what Davey said is he does want to make sure that once the guy is healthy, that Victor Robles does find somewhere to play, whether that's winter ball, maybe to try to show that, yeah, he is all right again and playing in game situations so that going into next spring, they have an idea. I mean, there's a contract option for him. The Nationals have to decide whether to pick up or not. We know there are some very talented young outfielders, particularly center fielders, who could and perhaps will take over at some point, but they may not be ready by opening day. So I think there's a real question there for them. Are they going to spend the money to bring Robles back as a short-term solution there, or are they just going to cut ties altogether and move on from that and if it's not him, then who would it be? So Robles' this season appears to be done. By the way, the corresponding roster move to the Nats bringing Luis Garcia back up from AAA Rochester was them putting catcher Riley Adams on the 10-day injured list. 
retroactive to September 7th due to what was, yes, a broken left handmate bone that he suffered in the 3-2 walk-off win over the New York Mets at Nationals Park this past Wednesday night. With Luis Garcia, though, now as essentially the Nats every game second baseman, that does make it so that Jake Alou is going to have to be playing a whole lot of left field. Jake Alou on Saturday night did not have a hit, but he made a heck of a catch in left field, showing that, you know, look, he's not known necessarily for his defensive prowess, but he can play a respectable left field. Now the pitch. Swing and a fly ball hit well to left field. Sending Alou back to the warning track. He's at the wall, leaping, and Jake Alou made the catch! Alou 0 for 5, but he in the top of the 8th, a leaping backhanded catch at the left field wall on a flyout by Freddie Freeman for the second out. And also in this game was yet another standout defensive play by Jacob Young. He was an ad starting center fielder, 1 for 4 with a single. He in the top of the 6 made a leaping catch while crashing back first into the center field wall for a first pitch flyout by Will Smith. Lashed in the air to right center field and deep, chasing back and over as Young on the go. He leaps at the wall and he slams into the fence, makes the catch and holds on. Oh my! I tell you, Jacob Young is exciting. You know, we don't know exactly what he'll prove to be, and you don't want to get too caught up in what you see from anyone in September. But man, this guy, every game, whether it's with how he runs or how he plays the field, he does something to kind of get you going here. He's an exciting guy to watch. Yeah, he is a spark plug, and and you can see that if he can put it all together, the kind of player that he could be. I just don't know if he's going to be able to put it all together, and over time, will teams start to get a book on him, how to pitch to him? I think the skills in center field are clearly there, and I don't think he's going to lose that all of a sudden, and his speed on the bases is tremendous. So, I mean, you would think at minimum he has a future as a an extra outfielder, pinch runner, defensive replacement that kind of thing. The question is going to be, can he produce enough at the plate to actually become something more than that and play on a regular basis? And we've seen some glimpses of it here so far, but there's a lot more still to see to have a sense of, you know, is he another Alex Call or does he have a chance actually to be a player who, I'm not going to say it's Lane Thomas because it's a different style of player, but somebody who we thought of as a backup, but who has ascended into an everyday position. Well, there was a uh, significant negative for the Nats on Saturday night, and that was the team's bullpen. This was not a good game for the Nats' bullpen. Five Nats relievers combined to allow five runs, four earned in five innings. We had Jordan Weems allowing a run in two-thirds of an inning. He in the top of the seventh, allowed a run on a leadoff double by J.D. Martinez to the left center field gap and a one-out RBI sack fly by Kike Hernandez to cut the Nats' lead to 3-2. Hunter Harvey allowed two runs in one in the third innings. He, in the top of the eighth, allowed two runs on a two-out hit-by-pitch of Will Smith, followed by a two-out, two-run homer by Max Muncie to right center field to cut the Nats' lead to 5-4, despite Muncie having been down in the count at 1.12. And yet another instance of a Nats reliever this season giving up a home run. This has been a real problem for the Nats' bullpen this season. And then came the Nats' uh, top reliever, Kyle Finnegan, him having problems in the top of the ninth. Remember, the Nats in this game blew a 5-2 seventh inning lead. Weems gave stuff up. Harvey gave stuff up. And then Finnegan in the top of the ninth allowed a run in an inning in which he threw 28 pitches. He issued a one-out 11-pitch walk of James Outman, who was not gotten out, not by Finnegan anyway. Outman then had a stolen base that drew a throwing error by catcher Kate Bitt Ruiz, advancing Outman to third base. And then Finnegan gave up a game-tying one-out RBI single by Colton Wong into right field on an 0-2 pitch to tie the game at five. And then Finnegan issued a one-out four-pitch walk of David Peralta. 
We had Robert Garcia in the top of the 10th, allowing an unearned run. And uh, then Andres Machado, of all people, was the guy who stopped the bleeding. He tossed a scoreless top of the 11th. But six relievers used on Friday night, five relievers used on Saturday night, zero scheduled off days for the Nats until September 25th. This is not an ideal predicament in which Davey Martinez finds himself when it comes to bullpen management right now. No, and he was pushing these guys in this game, and I didn't love it. Hunter Harvey, 32 pitches to get four outs. I did not love that. That's his second highest total of the season. You mentioned the 28 pitches for Finnegan, and they are starting to show some cracks. It's understandable. It's been a long year. They have been leaned on a lot. The Finnegan we've seen the last few weeks has not resembled that truly lockdown, lights out, looks like a bona fide closer that we saw for really several months, I think, over most of the summer. You can understand why that would be the case, why it's happening, but I do think it's all starting to catch up. And the other thing that Finnegan did in this one that was really frustrating, I think, to a lot of people, he didn't just give up the tying run. He was so slow to the plate, he was giving up stolen bases like just handing him out, like go ahead, take as many bases as you want. And it really almost cost him. He was lucky not to give up the go-ahead run that inning. He got out of it. One of these days, that is going to come back to haunt him, though. He is not great at holding on runners. It was not Cabert Ruiz's fault. I know he had an error on one of those. He did not have really any chance to throw out any of those runners. That one was specifically on Finnegan, and that is something that he does have to clean up because someday if he's going to be a closer in a big game in a pennant race, you get a guy on base, you're going to try to advance him. And Finnegan has got to be better at holding that in check and not just allowing a walk or a single to turn into a double and then potentially a triple if there's a throwing error after that. Well, there now is a uh, new slash familiar arm back in the Nats bullpen. Joe LaSorsa is back for what feels like the uh, 400th time this season of the Nats on Saturday afternoon, announced having recalled uh, LaSorsa from AAA Rochester. This as the corresponding roster move to Mackenzie Gore being placed on the 15-day injured list. We, of course, saw Gore pitch in game one of this series, and it looks like that is going to prove to be his final start of this season. We presume that there probably wasn't much left for Gore this year because of his workload limit. He, on Friday night in the 8-5 loss to the Dodgers, made his first start in 10 days. He lasted for just four innings, four runs in four innings, dealt with a nagging blister problem, and sure enough, the Nats on Saturday afternoon put him on the 15-day IL with what the team called left finger blisters. I know that Davey Martinez would not say that Gore's season is done. We're sort of playing the same game we played last year, if you remember, when it was said that Cade Cavalli's season wasn't done, even though we all kind of knew it was done, but the team didn't want to say that the season was done. I'm still trying to understand why we can't just say what everyone understands here, but Mackenzie Gore's season is done. What do you think internally? Are the Nats satisfied with Gore's season, dissatisfied with it? What do you think the actual internal thinking is on Mackenzie Gore's 2023 campaign? I think there's a lot of optimism about what he can be. When you saw him at his best, he was really, really good, looking like a frontline big league starter, both in the stuff that he had and maybe more importantly in his approach and his attitude and his clear desire and competitiveness to want to be the best. So you saw that. The problem is you saw it sporadically and did not see it consistently. Even, I wonder if it almost would have been better if he had like those four really good starts came in a row. And he said, wow, this is one great month from him. Look what he could do. And then maybe the rest wasn't as good. Instead, they were scattered throughout the season. 
And so consistency is going to be the number one thing for him this winter to get better at. Fewer misses well out of the strike zone. He's got to be closer to the plate. He's got to cut down on those long at-bats, those long innings that don't allow him to go deep in games. But I thought this was the telling remark from Davey. He said he told this to McKenzie. You can be an all-star in this league if you want to be one. I thought that was interesting. It was essentially saying, like, I see the potential in you, but you've got to now do what it takes to take that next step. And that is really about refining his stuff. It's about finding that consistency. And it's also about controlling his emotions. He is an emotional guy who can get upset when things don't go right. And I think what Davey's trying to say to him is, I don't want you to lose that competitive edge that you have, but you also have to learn how to still be effective when things aren't going exactly your way, how to pitch without your best stuff, how to find your command along the way, how to get out of jams, how to get quicker outs and allow yourself to go deeper in games. And so I think they're kind of challenging him. They say, hey, we believe in you, but now it's up to you to actually take this next step and become the pitcher that you're supposed to be. There's a lot to like there. Those really good starts this year, I was more excited about those than anybody I've seen pitch here in a while. Like that's how good those were. But he's got to show he can do that more consistently. And even if he's not going to have dominant starts, he's got to show those other starts can just be decent quality starts. So I think that's the next step for him. Yeah, we certainly have seen with Gore and Josiah Gray the makings of two guys who can be really good. But there are things that are missing. And that's the big question. Are the things that are missing going to be found? Are these guys going to actually put together what we feel like they could put together and become the pitchers that you hope that they can become? There, of course, is a rest of the regular season to be played. Like I said, no scheduled off day till September 25th. Someone is going to have to make these McKenzie Gore starts. There is an obvious question that comes up, and that is, is it Jackson Rutledge time? Do you think that we will be seeing Jackson Rutledge in place of Mackenzie Gore in the Nats rotation? So he was supposed to start for Rochester on Friday. He was scratched from that start. We have not heard a reason why that was yet. Now, timing-wise, you'd say, well, hey, he's pitching on the same day as Gore. They must have scratched him so he can take over. That would have happened before Gore had the blister issue that knocked him out of the game and ultimately landed him on the IL. So I don't think that was premeditated that that happened along those lines. Now, maybe they held him back thinking, we're going to want him in the big leagues at some point here. Let's save those innings for him. I don't know the answer to that yet. I've heard some really good things about the steps that he's taken this year. I think there's a lot of positive vibes about him and the improvements he's made and the feeling that he is ready for this now. So provided the health is good, he's another young guy that you want to watch his innings. So I don't know if they're going to go for broke there, but I think as long as he's healthy, that they're going to want to see him at least once, if not twice here down the stretch and get a sense of what he can be heading into the winter and next year. The other name to watch, and it's not as exciting, but it is somebody I do believe we're going to see, is Thaddeus Ward, the Rule 5 pick, who's been on the IL for quite a while with shoulder inflammation. They've used that to their advantage. They've had him make a bunch of rehab starts in the minors where he is building up his arm to actually be a starter. And he's gone, I think, up to five innings now. I think the idea is we're going to see him make at least a couple of starts to here down the stretch, help him qualify and get all his Rule 5 service time in the books so that if they want, they can keep him and then send him to the minors next year. And, you know, he may not figure into the long-term plans as far as a major part of their rotation, but I think they want to get another look at him as a starter and then try to get him into their farm system and see what they can do with him after that. 
It's worth noting, Rutledge hasn't been great for AAA Rochester. 11 starts, ERA a 444, whip a 150. Was quite good for AA Harrisburg. 12 starts, ERA a 316, a whip of 110. But obviously, someone is going to have to be making these starts that uh, would have been made by Mackenzie Gore. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the program. We'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shovers, see what we can do for you. Again, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We have a website that we invite you to check out too, NatsChatPodcast.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat Podcast music. Visit TimNewmark.com. Nats Chat is on the radio Sunday mornings, 11 to 12 on ESPN Richmond, which is 106.1 FM in the Richmond, Virginia area and ESPNRichmond.com online. Next up, for the Nats in attempt to win this series against the Dodgers. Uh, game three, Sunday afternoon at 1.35. Weather permitting, Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Swings to the first pitch and sends one high in the air. This one down the right field line. Jace Bowen onto the warning track. He leaps, and it's gone. Back to back. Home runs from James Wood and Brady House to open up this fourth inning at bat. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.